Thank you, Jackie. Thank you, Tim and Wayne, and a special greeting to all of you new members, and uh, look forward to shaking your hand and seeing how you get involved in your new church family here. We're continuing our series that uh, Pastor Jim began us with last week, Blank Check. So what do you think of that title? If I push in a bit, do you want to write the check or do you want to get the check? Could go either way, right? One of Jesus' sayings that is not recorded in any of the four Gospels, but that Paul quotes in the book of Acts is this. I'm sure you've heard of it. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Remember that? But I, I wonder if we really believe that. I think some of us would say, it is more blessed to receive than to give. I mean, that's kind of the way I think at my birthday <laughs> or Christmas, to be honest, right? Um, hmm, we've got it backwards here. So I was thinking, what if a store advertised that they would accept donations only instead of charging for their products? Pick your favorite store, grocery store, merchandise, whatever, online. Take what you wish, give what you want. How do you like that for a business model? Some of you that work in that kind of field, you're cringing. You're thinking, well, that's going to be a short-lived business, right? I mean, I have heard of some restaurants that are on the donation basis, but if you only hear of a few, there's probably a reason for that, right? So why, why doesn't that work? And I, I think it's because we live in a world of reciprocity, not generosity, right? Most everything we want only comes to us in a, a transaction, right? From goods that are delivered to relationships that are negotiated, right? It's a, I give this, I get this in return. Negotiations close a deal. Some of you are involved in that. And... Uh, whether it's the value of the item or the value of a relationship that you want to get into or have or close down, it's two-way, right? Give and take is the norm. So we're here today because the kingdom of God is radically different, or it should be. And I, I hope we're all on board with that. If you heard Pastor Jen's sermon last week, the gospel is so radically different that God gave everything and he expects us to give everything back to him. Talk about give and take. That's uh, radical. Because of all that our generous God has done for us, then we get to reflect his open heart to others. And our church, the Church of Jesus, should be like a store that serves people 
expecting nothing except what people want to contribute. So if I keep that analogy going between a store and a church, um, what's, what's the difference? Well, I, th I think the real bottom line difference is that the church, our church, gives you what a store could never give you, whatever the price would be. For instance, forgiveness of your sins through the death and resurrection of Jesus. I don't find that online anywhere. Worship of the triune God, like we just did, we are doing and will continue to do here. That may happen in a, in a sporting event, but it's not worship of God. What about support when tragedy strikes you or your family, where you ask people to pray, or maybe they even tell you they are, or you have friends come around you as your spiritual family, or maybe if you have a financial need and someone asks you about it, you're not ashamed to say, yes, thank you so much, and nobody else knows about it except the few. What about help in your daily life? I mean, everything from parenting to job difficulties to serious illnesses, hospitalizations, even mourning with people in death. You find that on Amazon? How about counseling? When you have personal struggles, something that you could only bear your heart to one person or maybe two, and maybe there's someone at church, a friend or someone on our church staff that you feel comfortable with, and maybe one of us actually refers you to someone with more professional expertise. Or finally, how about small groups of people like you, right, that get together regularly to have fun, to eat, to study the Bible, to pray together, to walk life together. That's what our church offers. Hopefully, that's what every church of Jesus Christ offers. And again, I don't see that at Target. I don't see it online. No store offers these benefits. So the members that joined, I was joking as we were doing a mic check this morning, I said, as if I was greeting all these new members, now you can pick up your membership card on the way out. We'll ask you to scan that when you come. And you're available, or, uh, there, there's coffee available for you. We don't have coffee yet, but we used to, right? And there are certain benefits that members get that non-members don't, right? And everybody's laughing that's listening to the mic check here. Well, it's kind of silly, but it's not silly if I go to a membership store, right? That's the way it operates. But think with me for a minute. What what keeps our church going? I mean, I understand what keeps your retail establishments or online establishments going, right? They sell the product, they make a little bit on it, that pays expenses, and it pays for the product, salaries, etc. 
You ever think about where we're sitting this morning? The electricity that powers the mics, the lights, the heat or the air, the nice clean church campus, the grass that gets cut, the... <laughs> I don't need to keep going, right? You have a house. You know the expenses that happen there. You ever think about that? Like, you might if you're on one of our church boards or if you see something like, why don't they fix that? Oh, yeah, well, I guess that's going to cost some money to repair. Right, it does. And what about our support staff? Not just me, we have about 20 people who serve here every week, some full-time, some part-time. And they're doing it because they get a little bit in a salary, some full-time people get benefits. So where does that money come from? Because we didn't charge you when we come in and we'll never charge you. You see where I'm going with this? I'm tasked today with talking about the generosity of giving money. Now, I'm, I must say at, at the outset, right, this is like a lose-lose situation. <laughs> uh, because it sounds like, almost like we need money, and I'm the bad guy saying, if you're not giving, you need to. Okay, let's pray, and now let's go home and hope people heard the message, right? That's not what I'm going to say today. In fact, we don't need your money. We don't need you. <laughs> We're not a business. We're not a profit and loss kind of a thing. We're here because we want to be. The whole kingdom of God and his church operates on a wholly different word. You ready for the word? You know what it is. Generosity. So today I thought, where in the New Testament does it talk about generous giving for the church of Jesus? And there's one passage, and it's a long passage. It's actually two chapters. Jackie read to us the first paragraph, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. So what I did then was to look at these two chapters, and I'm pulling out four principles of generous giving today. So let me give you a little background to Paul's letter. 2,000 years ago, there was a famine that hit the Middle East and the land of Jerusalem and Judea in the 50s, A.D. 50s. And it was so bad that people were starving and they people, you know, famine, which means kind of like a inflation of goods and not enough food and so forth. So it was difficult, especially for Christians. The Apostle Paul at the same time was taking the good news of Jesus on short-term mission trips to what we would call Turkey. In Bible times, it was called Asia. And as he went around to Turkey and then to Greece, where there wasn't a famine, he asked Christians there, would you please contribute to the needs of the believers back in Jerusalem? And when I go back, I'll take the money there. So Paul had taken a collection from the church at Macedonia. Macedonia is above Greece. It's now part of Greece, but in the 
Roman Empire, it was a separate country. And he's writing to a church in Greece, in the city of Corinth, asking them to save up because he's going to take the special offering, a love gift back, when he makes his trip. Now, of course, they didn't have Venmo, PayPal, digital transfer of money, Bitcoin, and all that kind of stuff. They had only real coins, not even paper currency, that had to be physically collected, protected. They walked, they maybe took a boat, and then eventually, many months later, the money was delivered to Jerusalem. So that's the background to our passage today. All right, here's the first principle, and it was found in the scripture that uh, Jackie read a moment ago, and it's uh, all about joy. Let me just read three verses, see if you can catch the flavor here. So Paul is telling the Corinthian church, you should be like this church in Macedonia. Why? Because, now I'm quoting again, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity, verse 2. Or verse 4 says, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in giving. <laughs> they couldn't wait to give. And then Paul says in verse 5, the key point of it all, they gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. What kind of church must that have been? So generous, they couldn't wait to give. And they gave not because they were getting something, but because they had been saved, redeemed, forgiven. And they were saying, well, who, who has a need? Okay, here. And so Paul kind of uses them as the first, like, example. Isn't that contagious? Wow. Then he says to the Corinthians, later on in verse 12, something like this. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. What? <laughs> if, I, if I walked up to, a, you know, to check out and I've got my stuff and the cashier says, well, are you willing to pay for this? Am I willing? Well, yeah, I'm here, aren't I? Yeah, but I want to know your heart first. Do you really want to pay for this? Right? That doesn't compute. But God doesn't care so much the amount of what you give, but the heart behind your amount. Here's another one from chapter 9, verse 7. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For the Lord loves a cheerful giver. Is that your attitude when you think about sharing your money at church or to missionaries or to some other... Christian cause or helping someone? Joy? I'll be so bold as to say that if you don't enjoy giving money to Chelton, please keep it. Really. 
Please keep it. God doesn't need it. We don't want it if your heart is not in it. And when you've really given yourself to God, and that's what we're all about here, not about money, but about giving yourself as an offering to God, then he'll have all your money, right? So it's just a small thing to give some of it away. That's the first principle. Give with joy. The second one is found in chapter 8, and it's verses 16 through 21. Now, again, a little background here. Paul had an associate with him named Titus. There's a letter that he wrote in the New Testament, Titus. So he's going to instruct Titus to do something about the offering. Listen to these verses here. Verse 16 of chapter 8. Thanks be to God who put into the heart of Titus the same concern I have for you. For Titus not only welcomed our appeal, but he is coming to you with much enthusiasm and on his own initiative. And we are sending along with him the brother who is praised by all the churches for his service to the gospel. What is more, he was chosen by the churches to accompany us as we carry the offering which we administer in order to honor the Lord himself and to show our eagerness to help. We want to avoid any criticism of the way we administer this liberal gift For we are taking pains to do what is right, not only in the eyes of the Lord, but also in the eyes of man. Paul here says that our giving should be marked by integrity. Integrity. Now, these verses that I just read again mention his associate Titus and another unnamed brother who were to carry the offering. And Paul ends this by saying he really wants to do everything right in the sight of God and then in the sight of man. Isn't that refreshing? (laughs) Paul describes with utmost transparency how the offering was to be um, conducted with strict oversight. Now, can I say that when you give to Chelton, you can give with confidence that every dollar you donate has that kind of strict oversight and accountability. We operate with integrity. Now, I'm just going to tell you a few things you may not have heard about our financial policies here. First, no pastor knows about anyone's individual contributions, only the totals. And those totals, actually, you know about too because they're published every week in our church bulletin. Did you happen to see that today, by the way? If you scroll down to the bottom, it'll say year-to-date contributions, and I think something like last week's offering. Secondly, every month our financial secretary puts out statements that our boards, our trustees, our elders, and our pastors look at every month. Third, 
we have a finance committee. It's a standing committee of the church that has two trustees, one elder, our treasurer, our assistant treasurer, who are both voted by our church, uh, voted into office by our church, and our operations director. They regularly assess and advise the trustees and the elders on cash flow and budget expenses. I'm getting a little too nitty-gritty here, aren't I? But maybe not. You need to know this. Next, fourth, the pastors, the three of us, are involved and informed about the finances that are spent in every ministry in detail. Fifth, we have a church budget. It gets created in about January, February by the church staff and the finance team, and then the elders look at it and approve it, and then it's presented to you in two weeks for you to look at. It's out on the table there, right? You can look at it. You can look at it line by line. You can come to the meeting and ask questions. Everything is transparent, and hopefully that budget will be passed, and that's the budget that we strictly use for the next fiscal year. In case you're wondering, our budget is roughly $1.6 million. Can you believe that? That means you give that much to God's work here. And whether you choose to give by check or electronic giving or special one-time gifts or even including Chelton in your will, Please know that we consider your gifts, every dollar, as a sacred trust. And we will use it with wisdom and transparency and integrity. Like Paul said, we want to do what is right, not only in the eyes of the Lord, but also in the eyes of man. Integrity, that's the second principle. Third, Generous giving is marked by reward. Now, this comes from chapter 9, verses 6 through 11. Again, I read 9, 6 through 11. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly or to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor, and their righteousness endures forever. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion, and through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. 
You know what Paul's really saying there? God gives to givers so they can keep on giving to others. You may have heard it this way. We are blessed to be a blessing. So when you give willingly and cheerfully, here's what Paul says. Listen carefully. You will receive a blessing. What? I, th I thought we don't give with strings. Well, you don't give for the blessing, but Paul says you will be blessed. Just like a farmer, or maybe you, sow seed. You don't just say, well, there we go. It's grass seed or it's a plant or something. No. When you sow, you sow in hope that you're going to get something out. That's what Paul says. When you give, you will be blessed or God will give you grace. That's what the text says in the Greek. Now, what does that mean, right? Here we've got to be really careful because here's where the health and wealth gospel, if you've ever heard of that, goes off the rails because it equates God giving you grace or a blessing with cha-ching, I give God $20, he gives me 50 in return. That's a deal. Especially for the person asking for it. That's where the deal is. So no, let me just say it. Nowhere in the New Testament is there ever a one-for-one -one correspondence of you give money, you get more money back. No. But at the same time, there's a little bit of truth in that whole lot of error. And the little bit of truth is really a big truth that when you give, it makes a difference not only in where you give the money, but in what you get back from God. Your gift is never wasted. When you have money, God gave it to you so that you could give some away. Remember Jesus' words? It is more blessed to give than to receive. Acts 20, verse 35, if you want to look it up sometime. And why? Again, my natural instinct is to say, I'd rather get than give. So how can it be better to give than to get? And the answer is, when we give, we also receive so that we can give again. There's something about giving that makes a difference in you. Again, God is more concerned with your heart than your money. I remember years ago when one of our daughters was little, little enough for me to hold in my arms and we got some ice cream. And I vividly remember holding her and I didn't have anything. I could, maybe I was waiting, I don't know, maybe she got served. But I, I vividly remember her having this little vanilla ice cream cone. And I said something like, can I have a taste? Now, what was I doing? 
I didn't need the ice cream. I wanted to see what she would say. And I think it goes like this. At first, she was like, you know, like, this is my ice cream cone, Dad. Get your own. And then, I think, oh, go ahead. <laughs> Can you see what our Heavenly Father does? Just like I could have said to my little girl, sweetheart, um, <clears throat> I could drop you right now. <laughs> or, guess who paid for that ice cream? And the clothes on your back, and is giving you free room and board. <laughs> but I was more concerned to see her heart turn from selfishness to generosity. I didn't need a taste. I needed a taste of her heart. So when God says, can I have a little? You think he asks because he needs it? <laughs> or because he wants us to be willing to give it? Now, maybe you're feeling inadequate right now, wondering if you can really be joyful and generous. Because, right? It, there's a lot of that selfishness still in our hearts. And the answer on how to be more generous, I don't think, is to kind of grit your spiritual teeth and say, all right, if I give, you know, fill in the percent, I'll up that by 2% or 5% or something like that. We'll just adjust it on the spreadsheet. Because, you know, that's what the sermon was about today. And if you're hearing that, that's not what the sermon is about today. The way to be more generous is to remember what Paul said to these Corinthian believers when he's talking about dollars and cents and drachmas. He says in verse 8 of chapter 8, I am not commanding you... I want to test the sincerity of your love. And then he says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes, he gave 10%? No. He became bankrupt. He became poor. We have no understanding of what it's like for God to become man so that for your sake he became that way so that you, through his bankruptcy, might become rich. Looking at the cross does something to your heart. Can I say it melts away the frost of selfishness, just like when the sun came up this morning and I saw frost in my backyard, 
part was in shade and part was in sun, and the grass was green when the sun hit it. So should we give our money to Chelton and to God's kingdom? Yes, we should. You'll hear more about that in the weeks to come, but you've got to start with the better question of why? Why should we give? And the answer is, you don't look inside, you look at the cross, where God's generous gift freely forgives our selfishness and enables us by giving us new hearts to be generous just like we have been freely accepted in the family of God. Do you see that? So today is the day for the Lord's Supper. Huh, isn't that great? And if you have your cup, some of you have been asking, when are we going to go back to do something better? Um, and the answer is, I don't know. We're working on it. We're working on it. But I could also say, uh, even if we went to something better, it's still not the best, <laughs> right? So uh, maybe this is a good reminder that these symbols point to something that tastes much, much better. What is much, much better? Jesus himself. So if, uh, if you peel back the top layer, which I'm having a difficult time. Oh, there we go. Is it? Yeah. Okay. Um, I remind you that Jesus said when he took that matzah bread at the Last Supper, right, the Passover meal, he said, this bread is my body, which is for you. It was his broken body, his crucified body. He was the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. And he said that when you consume it, it's like you accept me. So could I just pause and say, if you're here today, maybe you're visiting with us, or maybe you're here and you've been here, but you're really not here because you're, you know you're an outsider to Jesus, well then, don't do this until you've taken them into your heart first. And you can do that now, too. We're going to have a quiet moment in a minute. Maybe that's when some of you need to come to Christ, forsaking your selfishness and your sin, and run to Jesus like, like He's everything, because He is. So let's take a moment and then we'll eat together. So Lord Jesus, you told us that this bread is your body and that as often as we eat it, we remember you. So we do that together now. And now if you would take the cup 
And I remind you that Jesus took a cup of wine and he said to his disciples that that wine that looks somewhat like blood was to be the symbol of a new covenant that would give us new hearts, that would give us a deeper relationship with God's Spirit in us. And again, if you know Jesus, let's just take a moment and thank him for the sacrifice, for his generosity that not only gives us forgiveness of sins, but gives us new hearts that hopefully look more generous day by day. And our Lord, on that night, you took that cup and you said that this cup is the blood of the new covenant that is poured out for the forgiveness of sins for the new covenant and that we are to drink it to remember you. And we do that with gratefulness now. Like Paul said at the end of chapter 9, we thank you for your indescribable gift. Your son, who we know now and someday we will see face to face. Give us, give us hearts like his, hearts like you, that make a difference in this, in this world now with our money. We pray that in Jesus' name, amen.